0: Chapter 17. Top boy Frank was the only one to see George disappear under the seat of the cart. He didn't tell. Other boys gradually became aware of George's absence, and by bedtime, everyone in the junior dormitory knew. They all ran the risk of punishment for aiding and abetting, but despite this, they agreed to bundle clothes into the empty bed and cover them with a blanket. It fooled Mother Hall, who had become increasingly lax with bedtime prayers. She turned out the lights without suspecting a thing. It wasn't until the following morning when the boys knelt at their bedsides that the absence of 366 was apparent. All the boys in the grade 3 were crew, and those in the junior dormitory were threatened, caned, and threatened some more, but none of them was able to tell when, where, or how Georgia made his escape, because none of them knew what had happened. By midday, the Indian agent arrived, midsection of his horse barely visible under the supplies. He was whistling a tune, delighted at the prospect of trafficking a child. He enjoyed the challenge of pursuit. Mother Hall gave him George's crumpled nightshirt, and he offered it to the dog. Take a good sniff, that's who we're after. The dog wagged his tail enthusiastically. The agent tried to pack the nightshirt into his already overstuffed saddlebags, but then tore off a strip and pushed it deep into the pocket of his coat. He yanked the saddle cinch a few inches tighter and refastened it, the horse announcing his displeasure by raising a hind hoof and flattening his ears. And then the agent loosened his own belt buckle, letting out to the final hole so that his trousers slung comfortably under his belly. "'He's got an overnight head start,' Mother Hall warned. The Indian agent put his foot in the stirrup and started to haul himself into the saddle. "'You know I always bring him back. So which one am I after?' 366 six. horse thief he exclaimed dropping his weight heavily and causing the horse to grunt a large grin spread across the agent's face mrs hall i'm going to really enjoy catching this one nobody gets away from me and especially not horse thief mother hall waved good luck ha luck has nothing to do with it he replied passing through the gate and pushing the horse into a gentler canter it's skill my dear pure skill At first, the hound was unable to pick up the scent, but the agent guessed the boy would head home, so he took the trail toward the reserve. He was not blind to the spectacular scenery around him. The fall colours were past their peak, but a few fragile leaves still clung to the branches, and occasional splashes of orange and scarlet fluttered back and forth like monarch butterflies. He looked up at the clear blue sky and reflected on the beauty of this vast land he now called home how clean everything was compared with the squalor of London, England. He rarely thought of his previous life, but now he cast his mind back to the one room his whole family had lived in. It was so close to the River Thames that at low tide the stink of slimy mud pervaded even the smell of frying sausages. He wondered what his brothers were doing, what he himself would be doing had he not had the guile to cheat another young man out of his boat passage to the new land. He congratulated himself on his accomplishment. Never again would he doff his hat at landed gentry. Having to learn the peculiar Algonquian language in order to communicate with the savages was a small price to pay. With the sun on his shoulders, the rustle of leaves underfoot and the smell of horse sweat rising in his nostrils, an uncharacteristic peace settled on his soul. He breathed deeply inside. Life was good. The hound, having found no scent to the quarry, turned to chasing squirrels, but as soon as he caught the boy's scent, he forgot all about the squirrels and ran with his nose to the ground. Horse and rider followed, swinging into an easy canter that ate up the miles. When they reached the place where the boy had left the trail to make a fire and sleep for the night, the agent dismounted and stretched while the dog sniffed the depression in the vegetation. The agent didn't see the second depression a little deeper into the tangled bush because the dog... But the dog had found it at once, enticed by the strong odor that was almost canine yet wild, and made him tremble. He clamped his tail firmly between his legs. Come on, dog! The boy's long gone! The hound was soon following the boy's scent again, all fear forgotten. He moved fast, racing ahead of horse and rider who were struggling to keep up, and suddenly he slithered to a halt and backed up. The same wild smell was all around him. It was overpowering. His hackles rose, and he bolted back down the trail with a yelp. The horse stopped dead, shied sideways, and wheeled to the left. What the? The Indian agent thudded painfully to the ground, and the panicked horse galloped toward home. Cursing, the man picked up his hat and slammed it furiously against his leg. Unless he could catch his horse, it was going to be a very long walk home. It was then that he saw the wolf, bigger. "'and redder than any wolf he had ever seen. "'The animal was half concealed in the bush, "'not ten yards away, staring intently with amber eyes. "'One ear erected, the other bent in half. "'In the animal's cautious but inquisitive gaze, "'the man discerned violence and savagery. "'He reached for his gun, but it wasn't there. "'It was on the horse!' He wanted to run, but his knees were buckling, and he knew that the great creature would be upon him in a single bound. He'd heard that wolves couldn't climb trees, so he looked around for one with low branches. A fear of fangs tearing at his nether regions kept him on the ground. He was totally powerless, and he knew it. He stood on shaking legs, contemplating his death and the pain that might be involved. He peed in his trousers. As quickly as it had appeared, the wolf was gone. The sun was low in the sky when the farm carts bumped down the rutted street and pulled into the town square. The ending agent was waiting for them, rubbing the bruise on his rear end. It hadn't taken him long to find his horse, nibbling grass at the side of the trail. Worried that the wolf might reappear, he had mounted up immediately and ridden as fast as a sore backside allowed him to the nearest town, plotting revenge on the creature that dared to terrorize and humiliate him. "'I'm afraid to tell you,' he started, raising his voice and holding up his hands until the small crowd paid attention. And "'One of them poor little injun runaways from the Bruce County School just got eaten by a wolf.' The woman's hands flew to their mouths. I tried to save the boy. I did the best I could, but out of nowhere, a whole pack of wolves showed up and ripped that boy down from limb to limb. He dug in his pockets for the ragged strip of nightgown that he had stained with earth and squashed tomato. He held it aloft. In no time, there was nothing left but this. The crowd was aghast. The Indian agent had them right where he wanted them. "'Now they had a taste of Injun boy blood. "'They'll be back for more. "'They'll come for our babies and our children.' "'Suddenly everyone was talking at once, "'their voices angry and insistent. "'I shot two wolves last month,' a man shouted. "'The bounty's gonna come in real handy. "'Trouble is,' the agent continued, "'the vermin's keep breeding faster "'than we can get rid of them. "'So what I got here,' he paused, "'holding a tin box above his head "'and waiting for the curiosity of the crowd to peek, "'is poison bait.' won't that kill other animals too nothing we can't live without the indian agent replied fox raccoon bear i just lost six hens to a fox shouted a farmer a darn critter ate only half of me left the other five dead on the hen horse floor where am i going to get more laying hens at this time of year i got extras reckon i could sell you a few the agent interrupted before the meeting degenerated into a buy and sell session Over in South Fork, they use this stuff, and there ain't a single wolf left. Their children are safe. Yes, their children, he paused for dramatic effect, are safe. The only good wolf is a dead wolf, a farmer yelled, and the crowd roared its approval. Chapter 18 When George saw the still water of Boulder Lake glistening in the late afternoon sun, relief poured over him. His feet and legs ached from two days of walking and running, but he was more than halfway home. Crooked Ear had been traveling with the boy for several hours and eagerly loped forward to quench his thirst. His front feet submerged, his long pink tongue lapping noisily. The boy threw himself face down on the warm granite and scooped water into his mouth, then unpacked his bag and looked at the small piece of bread and cheese that remained. He divided it, rewrapped half, and nibbled on the remainder. The wolf sat on his haunches, watching, head cocked, one ear pricked, strings of drool dangling from the corners of his mouth. The boy unwrapped the cheese again and gave the wolf a sliver. "'This is all I have,' he said, his voice tinged with regret. "'Go and catch something to eat.' The October sun, which had lazily made its way across the sky, suddenly fell into the shining lake. The boy called out to Crooked but the wolf had wandered away in search of food, and he was alone. Hoping a fire would protect and comfort him, he quickly gathered kindling in the gloom. Squatting low to the ground, he struck a match and fed the tiny blaze with twigs, listening to the pops and hisses. One of the sticks was green and flexible, and he held it in his hands. He envisioned it as a dream catcher. He remembered the one that had hung over his head in the wigwam so he would have only good dreams. Bad dreams had plagued him at school, and now he was alone in the wilderness. He feared his dreams would be even worse. He hunched close to the firelight and twisted the stick into a circle. Without sinew, he used grass and plant stems to create the mesh that would trap the bad dreams. He looked critically at the finished object. It was flimsy, an oval, not a circle, and the hole that allowed the good dreams to pass through was off-center. Hoping it would be better than nothing, he hung it from a branch not far from the dying embers, and he curled up underneath, but he couldn't sleep. The noises of the night became sinister in his solitude, the rustling of a roosting bird, a twig spiralling to the ground, a bat flitting through the branches. Then, close by, he heard an animal snuffling in the undergrowth. His body went rigid with fear, and he held his breath. Sure that it was the agent's dog, he willed himself to remain motionless. snuffling got closer. His heart hammered furiously in his throat, and finally, when he could hold his breath no longer, he gasped. A family of frightened raccoons scampered away. The tears he had been holding in for so long started to fall, pricking the corners of his eyes like hot needles. I'm trying to be brave, he said to the darkness. I'm trying to be strong, but I'm all alone and I'm scared. He fingered the wolf's head pendant that hung around his neck. Keep me safe. Suddenly, he had an idea. He needed something sacred to make smoke. He didn't have tobacco or sage or sweet grass, but... He could smell cedar close by. Following his nose, he groped through the darkness to pluck some fresh fronds. Heading back to the glimmer of firelight, he carefully placed them on the dying embers and he waited. At first, he feared he had snuffed out the fire, but then smoke started to rise. He stretched his cupped hands into the rising plume and reverently washed the smoke over his head and shoulders as he had seen his people do so many times before. He couldn't remember the and words his parents and grandparents had used, but he made up his own prayer, hoping that Creator understood English. Great Spirit, watch over me and keep me safe. Knowing that sacred smoke carried prayers to Creator, he crouched low to the ground and gently blew under the embers. The smoke rose in little billows, and he flapped at it with his hands, sending it swirling upward. He spoke to the rising smoke. Don't let that bad man catch me. Slow him down, "'turn him around, confuse him. "'He paused, knowing he was supposed to give thanks, "'but he couldn't find much in his situation "'to be thankful for. "'But then he remembered the old man "'who had helped him escape, "'the gifts of food that had sustained him, "'the matches that had lit his fire, "'and the rabbit-skin jacket that kept him warm. "'Then he gave thanks for the rabbits "'that had sacrificed their lives and given their furs, "'and for Crooked Ear, who wasn't with him right now, "'but who he hoped was close by and would soon return.' And then he thought of Jesus, the school god, with the long brown hair that flowed over his shoulders in the way of the people. George didn't have much confidence in Jesus. After all, the white men had killed him. He was, if he was so powerful, why did he let them do that? However, the boy had found something likable in the face of Jesus, who looked down at him from the walls of the chapel, the refectory, the classrooms, and the dormitory. George saw that Jesus had kindness in his eyes, even though those who said they loved him had hardness and cruelty in theirs. So on this night, alone in the wilderness, George decided to pray to Jesus too. He cupped his hands again and respectfully offered the smoke into the air. And then he panicked. Does smoke carry prayers to Jesus? At chapel, they burn candle. They're not very smoky. He waited for the smoke to die down to what he thought was just the perfect amount. And then he started the school ritual, kneeling at the fireside, steepling his fingers and bowing his head. Jesus. Deviating from the rote pairs, he spoke from his heart, spurred on by fear and desperation. Help me! I know I am just a filthy Indian and a good-for-nothing savage, but you are the savior, so save me from the bad man and don't let the animals eat me. He opened his eyes. The aurora borealis was swirling in the night sky, illuminating the lake in white light. He lay on his back and stared through the dreamcatcher into the sky, and he let the dreamcatcher work good so that I don't have dreams." That are bad. The heavens shimmered and moved, and he could not take his eyes from their hypnotic effect. His breath hovered briefly in front of his face, and then it spiraled upward until it was swept away with the northern lights. And then, in the swirling eddies, wolves appeared. They loped across the sky, swooping down like birds before rising up again. Once again, the boy prayed, but this time to the wolves keep me safe he whispered the wolves came down to earth encircling him sitting on their haunches forming a ring of protection their leader spoke but not in words his message was S- entered the boy's consciousness as if by telepathy close your eyes red wolf sleep well know that we are guarding you you are safe within our circle little brother and the boy slept peacefully in his dream he looked into his father's eyes and he felt love cover him like a warm bearskin and he who whistles was gone, replaced by an image that George had seen every day at school Jesus hanging on the cross. The God man wore nothing but a breechcloth and a crown of sharp, twisted twigs tangled in his long brown hair. His eyes looked directly into George's. It was as if the dying God man was seeing the real Red Wolf, not number 366, not George. The God man was seeing the soul of Mishka Maingan. He wanted to bask in the feeling forever. But he was whisked away and sent tumbling through the air until he found himself looking deep into the amber eyes of a wolf. The wolf wore Jesus' crown of twisted twigs, which even in the dream struck Red Wolf as more than a little strange. Without words, the thoughts of the wolf flowed into the boy's soul. When the strange ones come here, thinking they had discovered a new land, they did not see that wolves and true people had been here forever. There were no scratchy lines to say the land belonged to us and to the other creatures that fly, swim, crawl, or walk on four legs. We had no fences to keep us in or them out. But you and I both know that from ocean to ocean, from mountaintop to river top, it was ours together. Creator gave it to us forever. The strange ones took our land that wasn't theirs to take. But no matter how much land they stole, they always wanted more. They were greedy and never satisfied. They cut the trees that held life together for all creation. They killed our prey, taking the furs but leaving the flesh to rot. They put fences around the weak and stupid creatures that they brought with them. And then when we killed these stupid ones because our children were hungry, they called us ferocious savages and they killed us with guns and poison. They made reservations where the soil was weak and worthless, where there were no herds for hunting, and that was where they made your people live, and the laws made you stay there, a disinherited people forever. In the name of God, they stole you from your home and locked you behind walls where bad things happened, but they used the name of God falsely. They say that their God is the true God and that our great spirit is a deceiver. "'But it is they who are the deceivers. "'They made promises and treaties "'that they never intended to keep. "'Of all the promises they ever made, "'they kept only one. "'They promised to take our land, and they did.' "'The boy was startled from sleep. "'A great blue heron soared over his head, "'her immense wings folding and twisting "'to carry her safely through the canopy. "'He looked at the mist hovering over the surface of the lake, "'heard the water lapping lazily against the rocks, "'and didn't know where he was.' and then everything rushed into his mind. He looked for the circle of wolves. It wasn't there. He got up and searched the ground for tracks. There were plenty, unmistakably wolf, large pads, four toes, non-retractable claws. They could have belonged to Crooked Ear. The faith told him they belonged to the heavenly wolves. He felt braver now. He felt protected, although he wished that Crooked Ear were here with him. Packing the dream catcher in his bag, he started down the trail and soon came to the shallow creek where he remembered resting with his father. Recalling what the old man had told him, he took off his boots and waded upstream, hoping to throw the dog off his scent. It was slow and painful progress on the humped and rounded stones. The dense spruce and cedars along the water's edge prevented the sun from filtering through, and soon he was chilled to the bone. He climbed out on the far bank, and from that slightly elevated position he could see a beaver pond. Tree stumps stood around the shoreline, their tops nibbled into sharpened points like the pencils that the boys used at school beaver lay on its back in the sunlit water, chewing on a small branch, but it rolled and dived as the boy lumbered clumsily toward it. He lay on a log in the sun, warming his ice-cold feet. He unwrapped his food, planning to eke out the meager remains, but hunger got the better of him, and he swallowed the bread and the cheese in a single gulp. A bittern walked furtively through the marsh grass, stalking its next meal. The bird plunged its head into the mud, and when it came back up, the hind legs of a frog flailed from its beak. Tossing it in the air, the bird caught and swallowed it, one deft maneuver. The boy empathized with the frog. Raven's cawing from a perch high above the landscape interrupted his thoughts. The rocket's cries spoke to him, reminding him of his childhood, of his father and the ways of the people. The raven said that an animal was dying and that they were first in line. The final pieces of bread and cheese had left him feeling even hungrier than before. And he wondered if he could beat the ravens to the ravaged bird whose life was coming to an end. He put his boots back into his tingling feet onto his tingling feet and jogged off to investigate. Chapter nineteen The Ravens looked down at the four legged trapped in the snare. They bobbed their heads watching keenly for signs of life, balancing hunger against the fear of reproaching a living predator. One made a brief sortie, but when the trapped animal flailed its head and snarled, the bird quickly retreated to the treetop, landing clumsily alongside its companions, pitching them back and forth. Suddenly, their attention was diverted to the small upright, who had scrambled to the top of the rise and, with arms held out like wings, was flying toward them, weaving in and out of the trees, all the while emitting a high-pitched bird-like call. When he headed toward the dying animal, they attacked him. Red Wolf covered his head with his hands and ran. A ferocious snarl stopped him dead in his tracks. Ahead, a wolf, drew back his lips in a vicious grimace. The wolf looked so different from the animal he knew well that for a fleeting second the boy didn't recognize Cricket Ear. "'I'll get you out,' he murmured, not knowing quite how, and squatting a safe distance away to think. The wolf whimpered, then licked and nibbled at the noose of snare wire that had all but disappeared into the swollen flesh of his front paw." The boy traced the snare wire back to where it was secured to a metal peg embedded in the ground. He tugged, but it was anchored firmly and refused to give under his weight. Crooked Ear was calm now, and the boy moved closer to get a better view. He stroked the big wolf's head and spoke gently. I have to get that wire off. If I can loosen it, you'll be able to slip your paw out, and then you'll be free. Although he spoke the words with confidence, he was scared that pain would make the wolf attack him. It's going to hurt, he said, lightly touching the wolf's leg and slowly moving his fingers down to the injured paw. The animal flinched but didn't pull away. The boy spoke softly as he loosened the snare. Crooked ear growled and flung his head towards the child, his fangs barely concealed behind grimacing lips. Red Wolf leapt out of the way. Yelping in pain, the wolf pulled back his lips and delicately grasped the wire with his front teeth teasing and loosening it until it lay harmless on the ground. Red Wolf, who had been watching so intently that he had barely drawn a breath, let out a gasp of relief. He wanted to throw his arms around the wolf and hug him, but he kept his distance, watching Crooked Ear gently lick the wound. Finally, with a heavy sigh, the wolf stretched out on his side, exhausted. Red thought about the flat slabs of granite that sloped gently into Black Lake and wondered if Crooked Ear could get there and stand in the water to soothe his paw and drink. The boy remembered that it was not too far away, close to the stream that he had recently walked through. He looked for the trail, but there was nothing but forest and bush. Panic rose in his throat. He ran back and forth looking for any small sign that Mother Earth, that he had passed that way. He collapsed at Crooked Ear's side. "'and rested his head on the wolf's shoulder. "'We're lost,' he said, "'and I don't know how to help you. "'I'm sorry. "'I should have picked up Father's trail "'on the far side of the creek, "'but I walked upstream. "'I should have known that was wrong, "'especially when I reached the beaver pond, "'because when I made the trip with Father, "'we didn't pass a beaver pond. "'And then I followed the ravens "'and I flew down the hill "'like a bird forgetting to look around.' "'Scorn tainted his voice. "'I was playing. "'Like a child.' A voice spoke to his understanding. If you had not done those things, you would not have found me, and I would have stayed in the trap until I died. The boy buried his face in the warmth of the wolf. ear struggled onto three legs and slowly limped into the bush. The boy followed, ducking under low boughs and using his hands to keep twigs and branches out of his face. The wolf's slow, three-legged gait allowed him to keep up. And as long as they were together, the boy felt calm. But after a while, Crooked Ear broke into a hopping lope and vanished. Wait for me, Red Wolf pleaded in panic. He forced himself to calm down and do what he who whistles would do. He searched for paw tracks, snapped twigs, bruised leaves. Slowly, he followed the wolf's trail through the dense forest. Suddenly, blue sky greeted him and great slabs of granite sloped toward Black Lake. Crooked Ear was standing in the water drinking, and the boy felt a wave of relief. Even when he raised his head, Crooked Ear remained in the water. Meanwhile, Red Wolf searched for a strong stick and sharpened it to a point. In quick succession, he speared three fish. He tossed two to Crooked Ear, who swallowed them whole, but he cooked his fish over a fire. Red Wolf didn't notice in the disappearing light that grey clouds had gathered. He curled up close to the fire, the rabbit-skin jacket covering him from head to toe. Crooked Ear limped in three tight circles and flopped down beside him. He licked his paw a few more times and then tucked his nose into his chest, wrapped his thicky, thick, bushy tail around his body, and went to sleep. Not long after dawn, Red Wolf was awakened by the complaint of a chickadee that plumped up its feathers against the brisk air. Red Wolf sat up, surprised when a light dusting of snow slid from him. He looked for Ear, but the wolf was gone. He called out urgently, and a black-tipped nose poked out from under the snow. Ear heaved himself up and made a half-hearted attempt to shake before flopping down and lethargically licking his wounded leg. Red Wolf was dismayed. The leg was swollen to twice its normal size. Anxiety tensed his stomach into a knot. He looked at the sky. Light snow swirled through the treetops, and he shivered. "'I must get home. The weather is getting bad. I have no food. The crooked Ear can't walk. If I go without him, what will become of him? I can't leave him.' He rebuilt the fire and sat by it until his shivering stopped. He speared more fish and held one under Crooked Ear's nose, but the wolf wouldn't eat. He tried to build a shelter, but cutting through the spruce boughs was too difficult. He crawled under the low-lying branches of a dense stand of cedars. The thick foliage kept most of the snow from the ground, and it smelled good. Crooked limped after the boy. The child gently stroked the wolf's head. His nose was hot. The boy knew that fever often killed children, and he presumed that it might kill wolves too. He fingered his pendant and prayed to the spirit wolves. He hoped were still guarding him. Help us, please. He didn't know what else to do. Chapter 20 the Indian agent had lost a lot of time by diverting into town and riling up the farmers with his story of child-eating wolves. ear was of course the primary target of his revenge, but by the time the effect of the poison bait rippled through the environment, the wolf was long gone. The Indian agent didn't waste any emotion on other wild animals that he knew would feed on the bait: bears, foxes, raccoons, martens, and wolverines. These animals were disposable as far as he was concerned. So, he spared no thought for them as their aban- or their abandoned offspring. He had realized that birds such as ravens, vultures, crows, jays, and owls would also die when they fed on poison carcasses. He would not have cared much either. As long as the woodlands continued to harbor game animals such as deer, elk, and rabbits, he was happy. He had no knowledge that rain and melting snow would carry poison into the streams, rivers, ponds, and lakes contaminating the fish and water birds he enjoyed on his dinner plate from time to time. The Indian agent was focused on one thing alone, catching three, six, six. He cantered, hoping to catch up before the trail went cold. He sensed a shift in the wind and looked up. Clouds scudded from the north. It was not a good sign, and he knew it would be wise to turn around and head home. If he got caught in an early snowstorm, the footing would be difficult and the going slow. It would be sensible to let the Mounties pick up the boy from the reserve when the weather improved. He reined in the gelding and called to the dog, but the animal was snuffling through the dirt and vegetation 50 yards ahead and ignored his master's command. The dog had picked up a fresh scent. Excitement coursed through the Indian agent and a sadistic grin lit his face. So, horse thief, you're close by, eh? His joints were stiff with cold, and when he dismounted, his feet hit the ground like two bricks. "'sending a jolt right through him. "'But he was elated. "'He kicked at the remains of the boy's fire "'to see if there were any glowing embers. "'A look of satisfaction spread over his face. "'He wasn't far behind. "'He cast around for any sign of wolves, "'fear tugging at his gut. "'Although, with his rifle slung over his shoulder, "'he felt braver. "'The only paw prints he saw were from his dog. "'The animal had trampled the area in his excitement, "'inhaling the feral smells that encircled the boy's bed. "'A few minutes earlier,' The agent had been ready to turn for home, but since he was within striking range, he wanted to press on. However, the light was fading. It would soon be dark. He decided to make camp and catch the boy in the morning. The northern lights danced again across the night sky, but neither the Indian agent nor his quarry a few miles along the trail saw the shimmering green curtains of heaven. In the cedar bower at the edge of Black Lake, crooked ears' feverish heat warmed the boy. The wolf whimpered in his sleep, his paws twitching. At one point he howled, but the boy, sleeping under the dreamcatcher, didn't stir. Red Wolf was a baby again in his dream. His father held him up to the heavens to be blessed by the spirits. Creator, thank you for this boy child who has completed my life, he who whistles said. Spirit of the Red Wolf, watch over my son. He shares your name. Let him also share your speed and grace, your honor and courage, your strength and compassion. Then Red Wolf was wrenched from his father's hands and whisked into the air like a dry leaf in an autumn storm. He tumbled through space until he came face to face with a wise and serene wolf. The time has come, little brother. You must run now like never before. I will stay with you. The child felt himself changing. He was on all fours, marvelling at his sleek red coat and bushy tail. And then surrounded by wolves from snow white to black and through all the shades of brown, red and grey, he found himself running. He was fast and powerful, graceful and courageous. Pride welled inside him like a spring, bubbling up from the earth, but most of all, he was free. When he woke at daybreak, he felt more like Red Wolf and less like George, definitely not like 366. He poked his head from under the cedar fronds and saw Venus, the morning star from whom his mother had been named, still glimmering in the dawn sky. It was a sign, he thought. Cricket Ear had already nosed his way out of the cedars, and was helping himself to the remainder of the fish, licking up the last scales and bones from the ground. The boy was hungry, but he was glad at least that the wolf had a good appetite. It meant that he was healing. I hope you can run today, he said. We must get home before the blizzards come. Crooked seemed to understand, but with barely a limp, he trotted forward. The boy gathered up his bag, put on his boots, and chased after the wolf. Back down the trail, the Indian agent was not happy. There was an icy chill in the morning air, and he couldn't get warm. He had spent a restless night trying to fit his body around the bumps on the cold ground. And when he had heard the howl of a lone wolf, he sat upright and grabbed his gun. His hands were so cold he could barely feel the trigger. And after that, every rustle in the bush brought a renewed surge of panic that loosened his bowels and sent him scurrying outside the tent, gun in hand, trousers around his ankles. His courage returned along with the daylight. He tossed grain for the hobbled horse, and with his gut telling him the boy was just a few miles ahead, He was soon back on the trail. When they reached the creek, the dog could find no scent. The animal ran up and down on both banks without success. The Indian agent, however, could see a faint path on the far bank. He turned his horse toward the creek and dug in his heels. The horse balked. The man's temper rose, and he leaned out of the saddle to snap a slender branch from a tree. Squaring the horse to the creek, he gave him a whack on his rear end, and the animal threw himself across the water when they reached Black Lake. The dog ran along the sloping black rocks until he found the boy's campsite in the Cedar Bower. The agent held his hand over the ashes and felt a trace of warmth. Horse Thief was close. He heard a splash. Brown lake trout were jumping through the clear water. The thought of fried fish made his mouth water and overrode his urge to catch the boy. He took his fishing gear from the saddlebags and cast into the lake. Almost immediately, a fish was on the line. He ripped the hook from its gaping mouth and left it to flounder on the rocks. "'turning his attention to the remains of the boy's fire. "'The charcoal reignited easily, and soon the fire was blazing. "'He hadn't noticed the pair of ravens on a nearby tree. "'They were unusually quiet. "'One of the birds swooped down, grabbed the fish in its beak, "'and struggled to lift itself back into the air. "'Hey, you miserable buzzard!' the engine shouted. "'That's my breakfast!' "'He lunged at the raven, but his feet slipped on the damp rocks, "'and he sprawled face-first. "'With a few laboured wing-beats, the raven dropped the heavy fish.' And slapped onto the granite. Optimistic that breakfast was yet again within his grasp, the agent scrambled towards it, but he was thwarted. The second raven swooped down and carried the fish away. The man cursed and threw stones. Enraged, he barely noticed the ice pellets stinging his upturned face. The first raven circled back. It was coincidence that the bird voided just as it flew overhead. For the Indian agent, it was the last straw. Spitting and spluttering in disgust. He kicked dirt over the fire, climbed on his horse, and headed home.